Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. The holidays are coming. At the same time that we might expect to see huge waves of new COVID cases, thanks to the Omicron variant. So how much should Omicron affect your holiday plans? Hi, Andrew. Welcome to The Dose. Thanks for having me. So do you call it Omicron or Omicron? Omicron. Wow. At times, I'll uh, try and throw in a Greek accent, but I won't do that for the broadcast. Wow. And that's after the Daily on the New York Times kept saying, no, it's Omicron, not Omicron. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you know, my I think they're brain wrong. is. You think they're wrong? Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, I think they're wrong. All right. Um, more, more important than that, what does this variant mean? And we're going to get into that in just a moment. But first of all, Andrew, can you give us a hi? My name is. Tell us what you do and where you do it. My name is Andrew Morris. I'm an infectious diseases physician at Sinai Health and University Health Network. I'm a professor of medicine at the University of Toronto, and I co-chair with uh, the brains of the operation, Dr. Menica Pai, the Clinical Practice Guidelines Working Group um, at Ontario's Science Table. And uh, you are a maven of the Antibiotic Stewardship Program, so I have to say that too. That's that's pretty important okay. work that you do. Yeah. Oh, that's great taking care of antibiotics so we can continue to use them now and for decades to come. So let's begin our conversation. Uh, Andrew, we are recording this on December 13th, and there's a lot we, we don't know and may not know for certain over the next few days. But I want you to put your thinking cap on and, and, and predict for us what might be in store for us regarding Omicron over the next few weeks as we head into the holidays. Yeah, well, I think the most important thing we're going to uh, see, and we are seeing already, is the absolutely overwhelming rapidity of growth of Omicron compared to all the other variants that we've experienced before. The transmissibility of this variant is so much greater than we've uh, seen. It will make us uh, really have a double take when we start seeing the numbers of the cases that will start to be reported. And I think what we'll see because of those high numbers is labs are going to have a difficult time keeping up and we'll probably start having decisions being made around even testing because the numbers are going to be so high, we will have so many people infected with this. In round numbers, after how many days do we anticipate more or less that we're going to be seeing doubling of the number of people with the Omicron variant? Yeah, it's it's going to be somewhere around every three days. In Kingston, Ontario right now, it's around every five days, and we think that uh, most of the infections there are Omicron. Um, but if we look at uh, the UK and in Denmark, it's even less than three days. I think uh, three days is probably our best uh, guesstimate. So 100 cases in three days becomes 200, another three days becomes uh, 400 and 800 and so on and so forth, which just sounds absolutely frightening. So what is the most important message people should keep in mind right now as they're planning their holidays? I think the first thing that they need to keep in mind is that what they think they know now about the situation is going to be very different in a week from now, and it'll be even more different two weeks from now. It makes it very difficult for us to plan 
um, in terms of uh, really our, how, how we're going to conduct our lives, because uh, the world tomorrow will seem a lot different than it is today. And there's a lot of uncertainty around that too. So there may be very, very high numbers, but the impact on each of us, as well as the healthcare system um, at the moment is, is pretty well unknown. So we can't predict. Um, I can tell you, you probably know this as well as I do, that some people are going to go ahead with plans to get together no matter what, if they do, what should they, or what should we uh, do to try and mitigate the risk? Is there a checklist? Yeah, I think there are a lot of things that uh, people can do to, to keep their uh, next few weeks safe. Uh, by far and away, the most important thing is, if possible, make sure that they are fully vaccinated. And when I say fully vaccinated, uh, that is for most adults, it's three doses, especially if your second dose was five months or more uh, um, ago, then you want to get that third dose. In in Ontario, it's 168 days. It varies across the country in terms of eligibility. Um, but I do think that people, as much as possible, uh, should uh, get themselves um, with that third dose when possible. That's going to be the highest protection because we know that two-dose protection um, is not nearly as good as three for the Omicron variant. But there are other things that we can do too. I think probably the second most important thing is making sure that we breathe uh, clean air. That means air that doesn't have uh, the COVID-19 virus, SARS-CoV-2, uh, in it. And the way we do that is uh, we're either outdoors with fresh air there, or if we're indoors, we're wearing a mask, we're in a well-ventilated space. Ideally, it's not only well-ventilated, but it's cleaned with, let's say, like a HEPA filter. That's ideal. But even just fresh air with um, windows open will make a huge difference in terms of the transmissibility of uh, COVID-19. And I think those things in and of themselves will uh, go a long way to protecting people. And if we mix in, if we add in um, rapid testing so that if you're going to be indoors uh, gathering for you know a dinner or a party, hopefully with a relatively small number of people, then you use these rapid tests before everyone gets to the venue. Uh, everyone tests themselves and um, only people who test negative uh, join in in the gathering. And that will make it, uh, again, an, an added layer. It'll provide an added layer of protection um, above and beyond what you're doing with breathing clean air and being well vaccinated. And uh, as as we speak, I wanted to, uh, to alert our keen listeners that we're hearing a little bit of construction noise. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a fair amount of construction at Mansina Hospital right now, and uh, unfortunately, some of it's right above my head. So, and 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 you're continuing to work through that noise, and I know what that noise is like. And I, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, good on you for being able to keep a, a a clean and 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 laser-like train of thought through through much of that noise. When I listen to um, uh, construction, I think of construction workers, and when I think of construction workers, I think of uh, people wearing N95 masks. So, big question: Should we be? And we've heard all this talk about about uh, about uh, COVID nineteen, particularly Delta, and now and now the uh, the Omicron variant being airborne. Should we be switching to N95 masks? I think that in most situations where people are going to find it unavoidable 
to be in an indoor space where there's risk. That means uh, people whose own um, likelihood of having uh, COVID-19 is uncertain. So that could be uh, you're going shopping, uh, you're in some other office space, uh, in a mall, a supermarket. I think in those situations, it probably does make sense to wear uh, an N95 mask or an equivalent, a respirator that um, gives you optimal protection against the uh, SARS-CoV-2 aerosols that uh, can infect you. On the other hand, if you're in a space where you know everyone is, they themselves are well vaccinated, let's say with three doses, it's a very well ventilated uh, space. I don't think it's as necessary, but it's certainly an added layer of protection and it, it ends up becoming, I think, a, a, a personal um, assessment of risk. If you're someone who really doesn't tolerate um, any risky activities at all, then you're gonna wear an N95 or an equivalent. Um, but if you're not as worried, and especially if you personally don't have um, added risk factors, like if you're a 25-year-old and you've got all, all your um, vaccinations and, um, you know, it really, really bothers you to wear that N95, um, you know, you're, you're probably not going to be as, as, as worried or obsessive about wearing that protection. But I think it's important for everyone to understand that the N95s provide you with substantially more protection than um, a cloth mask or even a surgical mask. I want to get back to something that you talked about if people are going to have indoor gatherings that, that they now consider rapid testing. This is a thing now, isn't it? That, that rapid testing should become something that's part of everybody's personal armamentarium. Am I right? I think so. You know, I, I think we have to use all the tools that we have available to keep ourselves safe. And especially in this situation um, with Omicron, where we know very well now that the uh, time from someone being exposed to the virus to being able to transmit it is so rapid that uh, the only way that we will be able to ensure that people who are infected are not transmitting to others is going to be through some kind of test to assess whether or not uh, they're infected and carrying virus. That could be a PCR test, but the challenges with PCR testing includes the difficulty in getting access to the tests, as well as the relatively slower turnaround time. The advantage of these rapid antigen tests are that it's convenient for people to use. They get a very uh, quick answer, and, um, and that puts the control of the information and the decision-making into the um, consumer's hands. And so because of this, um, it allows us to um, ensure that we are reducing the chance of, um, if we're infected, transmitting it to somebody else. And I think that's, that is really very important, is that the only way we're going to be able to reduce the probability of transmission is by saying, we're not going to have people who appear to be infected transmitting it to others. And we know that symptoms aren't reliable, so we're going to need to go beyond symptoms. If someone has symptoms, obviously they shouldn't be going to a party. But even if they don't have symptoms, um, we need something else that will um, work as a surrogate for symptoms. And that's what rapid antigen tests do. When is the ideal timing? Let's just say you're having a, a house party. When is the ideal timing 
to use a rapid test if you're either hosting or planning to attend uh, that small house party? As close as possible to the event um, without making it that you're at a point of no return. So ideally it's, you know, an hour or two before, if it's no big deal for you to, uh, you know, say I'm not coming. If you're a host, it's a little bit different and you may want to uh, even do the test twice if you can afford it or you have access to the test. But as a minimum, you may want, may want to just do it the morning uh, of the event and then give people notice. Um, but I, I think it's going to be most reflective of what's going on at the event if you do it close in time to the event. You mentioned PCR testing. Uh, are hospitals and public health uh, officials right now checking for Omicron with the current PCR testing? Yeah, so it varies across the country. All provinces are doing their best to assess for Omicron. Uh, some provincial labs are better equipped um, and have better capabilities to test larger uh, amounts of samples for Omicron, whereas others don't. Um, but they're all looking for Omicron and they're trying to share that information, not only nationally, but internationally. What would you tell people who are planning to travel over the holidays? I think there are two main issues. One is uh, the risk of getting infection in transit and where they're traveling to versus in Canada. And I think the reality is that in most parts of Canada, say for some of the Atlantic provinces probably, the, the risk is, go, is going to be uh, comparable where they travel compared to uh, Canada itself. So that really isn't the risk. I think it ends up being more of a, um, a practicality and a logistical challenge I think we're living in a time where government decisions on incoming travel in particular, so people arriving in Canada, is very dynamic. Uh, we've seen already a couple of changes related to Omicron over the last while, and I think we can anticipate that there will be more changes um, in the next uh, weeks ahead. So it may be possible that what the restrictions are, what the guidance is and regulations when you leave Canada may not be the same ones when you're hoping to return and you either may be kept from returning or you may be um, required to be in uh, some kind of quarantine on arrival that's even longer than you anticipated. Uh, it's really hard to know and all these things as I said are, are quite dynamic. So it sounds like you're saying that if you don't have to travel you should probably think twice about it or at least be very prepared to deal with with rapidly changing requirements uh, for quarantine and for testing. Absolutely. And, and I think that hopefully one of the things that uh, COVID-19 has uh, taught us is a bit of resilience and uh, recognizing that things do change and we're, we're just going to have to be able to adapt. And some people are probably going to be prepared to do that and, and willing to do that. And I, I think that's reasonable. But, uh, you know, I know I myself will be staying in Toronto. You know, my sense up until this point in time is that is that Omicron is highly infectious, highly transmissible. But in fully vaccinated people, uh, it doesn't seem to cause a lot of serious illness. But you have some caveats about that, don't you? Yeah, I, I really don't know. Um, where it stands in terms of severity of illness. And what we've learned for all the prior waves is it takes a bit of time to figure out severity. Often what happens is waves occur with the most social and mobile people getting infected first. Those tend to be kids and young adults. And so it always makes the wave 
appear milder at first than it really is. We have a, a different situation here that adds to the complexity, which is the experience in South Africa. So in South Africa, they've uh, had this Omicron wave for uh, many weeks now, but the South African population um, has a high degree of immunity acquired from prior infection from uh, COVID-19. Uh, you know, they have zero prevalence rates of around 90%. So that means that at least 90% of the South African public had antibodies uh, to the SARS-CoV-2 virus prior to this wave. When you add the fact that they also have a very young population, much younger than we have in Canada, um, it's almost certain that any wave that they would experience is going to seem relatively mild compared to what we might experience here. That doesn't mean that we won't also experience a very mild wave. That's very possible, but it, it makes it very difficult to interpret. The last point I'd make is that even with the alpha wave or even the original um, Wuhan strain, we um, saw a fair number of deaths. Now, things have changed in terms of the therapies that we have, but with much smaller numbers than we're going to see with this wave, there were still a fair number of deaths. And so even though uh, this could be potentially less severe, and again, I'm really uncertain about that, but even if it were to be less severe, the sheer numbers will mean that we'll still see um, many people hospitalized and uh, unfortunately, a, a large number of people uh, dying from this because of the numbers of infections that we'll see. Last question I'm going to ask you, what should people be prepared for over the next couple of months? I think that the public should certainly be prepared for really large numbers um, that are going to be reported through the media. Um, so large case numbers in, in a manner that we haven't seen. Uh, I've already said that, and, and I, I, do, I don't want to um, in any ways um, underestimate that. I think the other thing we'll have to recognize is that it, it is going to be putting a strain on uh, some systems uh, at present because many people will be getting infected. And so that could mean not only challenges uh, in healthcare, but it could be in other aspects where uh, there'll be um, challenges in, in uh, having people uh, in the workplace. So it could be your favorite cafe that you like to go to. Uh, they won't be able to have enough staff and they'll have to just, you know, have a, a closed sign or it'll just be locked and they won't open up in the morning. Or, you know, it could be a gas station. I think these are reasonable possibilities. It won't be for long. And, you know, hopefully we will be able to um, you know, overcome this. I think probably the most important thing is we're probably going to recalibrate what kind of risk we tolerate in terms of people being infected. Um, whereas we've insisted that people to, to be self-isolating for, for, you know, 14 days um, uh, for a period of time or, uh, you know, as little as 10 days, I guess. You know, we may change this pretty substantially uh, based on the numbers that we're seeing and how successful we are at, at controlling the numbers of cases. You know, I, I think it, it is really unpredictable what will happen in, in the short term. But, you know, what the South African experience has shown us in a very short time 
is is that the numbers grow so quickly that uh, it, it takes us um, really it takes it largely by storm and, and um, we often have to adapt on the fly. Well, Dr. Andrew Morris, uh, I want to thank you for uh, for helping us uh, figure out what we can do to keep things safer for us, for ourselves personally, and for the community during the holiday season. Uh, for answering our questions and and uh, giving us your wisdom. My pleasure. Dr. Andrew Morris is an infectious diseases specialist at Sinai Health System and the University Health Network. Here's your dose of smart advice. Things are changing rapidly, so let's stick to the general principles. Omicron is the fastest transmitting variant we've seen so far. Case numbers are doubling every three days, and shortly it will be the dominant strain in much of Canada. The good news is that you're well protected from serious harm if you have gotten a third dose of the COVID vaccine or it's been less than four or five months since your second dose. Get your third dose of vaccine as soon as you're eligible. Because Omicron is so transmissible, until proven otherwise, assume you're at risk of getting it wherever you are indoors in large gatherings, including sporting events, concerts, and houses of worship. Depending on the numbers, it might also include restaurants and gyms. Here's how to mitigate that risk. I know it's getting colder, but it's safest to meet friends and family outdoors. If you gather indoors with family and friends, remind guests to stay away if they have symptoms like cough or fever. As well, guests and hosts should do a rapid self-test around an hour or two before gathering. Hosts, be prepared to cancel the party. Remember that COVID is airborne. When gathering indoors with lots of people whose COVID status is unknown, wear an N95 mask. By now, I'd stay away from businesses that don't have air filtration systems up and running. Consider buying, renting, or borrowing one if you plan on hosting a house party. Finally, if you have travel plans, the rules on testing for travel to different countries and returning to Canada are in flux and subject to change. The federal government is now advising Canadians to avoid non-essential travel outside the country. If you have questions you'd like answered or topics you'd like discussed, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in a generous holiday spirit, rate us five stars so more people will hear about us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Andrea Belmare. Technical operations were by Gary Francis. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose aims to make you better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.